Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes, doctors, esteemed colleagues, it is a prodigious journey you embark upon. Observe, report, experience. You represent all of humanity. And don't let the door hit you on the way out. Now, perhaps a bit of tranquility around this base. The old lab is dark, which means no one's discovered my distillery. Comms is dark, which is technically against moon-based guidelines, but tonight that's a blessing. The farm is never completely dark, but quiet, because my love is just next door. And thus, all is right with the universe. Back to my lair. Now I can work. No, no, adjust the angular momentum. That doesn't fall within the Kerr metric. It's not remotely possible. End simulation. <sighs> it is so restorative to drink my blend again, even when the work is less than therapeutic. I can't see how this sidestep process is remotely possible on the scale required. And yet at this moment, humans are experiencing it directly. At least Gladys will take good notes. Enough ranting, enough frustration, enough data, I must compose. Open my subfolder under keyword Grey Havens, the last dated recording, and brew a fresh pot. No, let's make it tea this round. They stood by the side of the great white ship, watching as Galadriel and Elrond and Gandalf and Bilbo, and then an endless host of elves proceeded on board. Finally, the hobbits stood alone. There was some trepidation in the air, and everyone seemed to deliberately avoid looking at Frodo. But he embraced them, kissing first Merry and Pippin, then Samwise, clasping his shoulder as if he could not let go. It was Sam who broke the silence. Master Frodo, I expect they're waiting on you to come aboard. Frodo's eyes glistened, and his fingers went white, and he held onto his companion even more tightly. They can keep waiting, he said, and his breath quickened. Or in truth, they need not wait at all. I cannot... I cannot end our fellowship so easily. Not if it means that you and I... Um... Jackson! Uh, you're back. I've started some tea, if you'd like some. I'll get it. Thank you. I've been working on a new ending. I was never satisfied with the original. I saw the science bros off on their adventure. We should have a bit more room to ourselves now. Room to ourselves. Room to ourselves. Between that and the darkness becoming a bit less looming. Are you sure... I know you said, but 
Are you sure? Love? Uh, About the story? Oh, about the... If I'd been determined to go, I would have talked that out with you. We would have factored it into our plans, deciding together. I know you said you have data and, and work to be done. Done, done, done. But I was worried. If I'd been conflicted in the slightest, I would have said something. That is your first lie since the night I asked if you liked cilantro. What I meant to say... I I should go lie down. Jackson, wait. Please, I want to... Of course there was conflict, but what I'm trying to say... (sighs) There was a conversation that was cut off some time ago, when Dr. Day and McVette interrupted to tell us about Base Alpha. You'd asked if I had anyone back on Earth, and my reply was less than revealing. I never had the chance to know most of my family. Dhaka was being passed around between corporations when I was born, and after the redistricting, I lived with my great-aunt in Bashantara. It was the best opportunity. Well-protected, quality schools, and hospitals close at hand, and I was never suited for a more rural lifestyle. But we were relatively cut off. Communication and travel rarely reached beyond the walls. Amrit Pupu was in her fifties when I arrived, which seemed as a child such an impossible age. But I couldn't slip a thing by her, hard as I tried. Not when I blamed the cat for a broken pitcher, and not when I claimed innocence for rickshaw charges on our account when I'd left late for school. Not when I skipped steps on my calculus homework. She knew my schedule. She heard my most silent step in the hallway any time I tried sneaking in or out. She knew what I needed before I'd allow myself to ask it. From a planetarium membership to finding a gender-affirming therapist, she was my day and night, my gravitational pull, and I relied on her utterly. Which is why I was the first to notice when she started slipping. At first, it was a word on the tip of her tongue, using a calendar app when she'd always just remembered things, and then deepened by stages into forgetting to pay our accounts and accidentally deleting my homework during her review. And finally, the word she lost most often was my name, and the calendar app didn't help when she'd forget decades of her own life. I was 13. I knew her password, and I learned to pay the bills. I could make the dinner and our tea, but when security came around because she thought I was a home invasion... I was lucky that her doctor was a friend, and that I'd skipped several grades and was ready for university. It was fortuitous when my early admission came at the same time as the necessity for an admission of her own. I'm passing over some unpleasant details. The hardest part wasn't the decline, the loss of that gravity in my life's orbit. It was the sudden, unexpected returns, the flashes of lucidity where she'd call my dorm at midnight, insisting I arrange for her ride back to the apartment, asking questions about the latest draft of my thesis, or later my published research. It would all rush back, the pull so strong it collapsed me. It was in one of those later moments when I told her about the moon. I'd already been living in NYC for several years by that time, all our visits gone virtual, which made the guilt all the stronger when she sighed and said, I understand if it's quite some time before you come home and visit me. That was the takeaway. The peak plunged in my heart. All the deeper, when she thought a moment later I was a salesperson calling about the ductwork. The guilt became a black hole, drawing me into depression and... Poor coping skills, dragging me from any other real connections. 
all the way to where you find me standing now. A position where, don't get me wrong, I've done some absolutely brilliant work. For a long while, I thought I could navigate that void by ignoring it, directing my gaze toward the greater universe. But then I was brought into another orbit that has affected my focus in the most positive ways. If I were still the same person, perhaps I'd have gone off to the undying lands. But I found that the moon, and yes, still the earth, have a pull I cannot deny. That I don't want to deny. That I'm not prepared to let go. Thank you for listening. This episode featured Toe Zaman as Ashwini Ray and Cole Burkhardt as Jackson. The script was written by DJ Silvis. Cass McPhee is our audio engineer. Our theme music is Star by the band Ramp. Our cover art is by Peter Tchaikowski. We'll be back next week with a bonus episode that continues this conversation, where we'll learn more about Jackson's past and future. Until then, you can find us on social media or visit our Discord server to chat about the show, or leave a rating or review on your podcast app or podchaser.com to help us get other folks looking up at the moon. Until next time. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Edgar said to the interviewer, he was convinced that the thing out there wasn't a vault. Yeah, I know what he thought. Dr. Edgar's didn't think it was designed to keep things out. I know what he, he thought. thought. It was designed to keep something in. Do you even understand the difficulty trying to keep a base like Fathom at the bottom of the ocean from killing everyone in it on a daily basis? Oh my god. Everyone hold on to something. I think whatever is on the other side of that door out there, it's not friendly. I think it's trying to get out. That, my friend, is a dire combination. That's a bad sign. Get out of the door! It's spreading like some kind of technological contagion. We can either stop it here or watch the world burn. Fathom, the first season of Derelict. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Or learn more at derelictpodcast.com.